In today's show, we're talking NBA draft with Corey Tulliber of No Ceilings. We're going to be talking Bryce Sensabaugh, Maxwell Lewis, Amen Thompson again. We'll see what his thoughts are on Amen. It's all coming up. Michael Bolton. Michael Bolton? Yeah, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use the code LockedOnNBA for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Today, as I said, we're doing some draft stuff with Corey. Um, we had his co-host, Albert, on yesterday, and he's got some opinions on Amin Thompson as well. And then tomorrow, we're going to be doing a Philadelphia 76ers season review show. Uh, we're getting to the end of our draft analysis um, shows. I think we've only got uh, two more of those shows left to come. So players including Cam Whitmore, uh, Trey, Trace Jackson-Davis, yeah, uh, Chris Murray, uh, Quavion Smith will be coming in some of those uh, upcoming shows. We've got some Dynasty League content uh, with Rhett Bauer coming this week as well. Some more team reviews, some more mock drafts, lots of stuff happening. Might as well bring Corey in now. We can talk draft prospects, so we'll get him in. All right, let's bring him back onto the show. Here he is. Well, one of the hosts at No Ceilings, it is Corey Tullibur. Corey, welcome back. Thanks, man. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I, I love doing these shows. I've been keeping up with all the, the draft coverage you've been doing this year because I, I, I can't get enough of the draft just consuming it as a fan as well. You know, even that that's what I love about it so much. I, I could do it uh, and provide the content, but I just love consuming it. And, and I love getting the outside perspective from people who like, aren't fully engulfed in it and, and sometimes I, I think there's a lot of value because we tend to overthink things because we've watched so much of it and sometimes you just need like a, a fresh set of eyes so uh i'm excited to be back and, and chop it up with you yeah i think that that's an interesting thing is because you guys do this you know all, all year and you're doing stuff all the time is it there maybe I, I don't know if this is the right way to phrase it but you get into a situation where you've seen these guys so many times we're just like man this guy's going to be great like i love it i love what he does i love what he, i've spoken to him he's so cool he's such a good guy he's so humble look at all this development um because you're so just in it the whole time whereas someone might come in and go oh, what's what's this guy doing here and you said oh, but look he's improved five percent here over the course of five months and therefore you know this might happen do you ever get sort of lost in that and it's, it's good to have that that wake up call not wake up call but like huh i didn't really look at it from that angle a hundred percent. Um, I actually, uh, last year, like I had a buddy, um, come on who like, doesn't watch this stuff at all. And we just did like, I was like, Hey, rank the top 10 prospects. Yeah. Like uh, just, just watch like YouTube highlights, like approach it. Like, yeah. um, like somebody who, who is consuming. Cause you know, most people don't have time to, to watch a thousand games. Um, and you know, it, going back and going through his rankings, like they're, pretty accurate you know like sometimes we tend to overthink when we overanalyze and get into the nitty-gritty and you know some of the like you said you know we're talking to these guys and we're looking at the intangibles and it's like sometimes like right fit right athlete right skill set and right talent and and 
sometimes there's overthinking. So I a hundred percent like to approach it like that a lot of times and, and think there's value in it. Let's talk about the first five picks in the draft. We know what the order is, of course. Um, what would you do for those first five picks heading through to Detroit? Like just bang out that first five. What would you do if you were given the GM powers for five different teams? <laughs> uh, all right, the Spurs, I'm, I'm taking Victor Wembanyama. Uh, I would go with Brandon Miller for the Hornets. Um, for the Trailblazers, I, I would take Scoot, although I'm very, very tempted to uh, go a different direction. Uh, at number four, I would go with Jarris Walker, uh, who, although they're not not the, the cleanest fit, I do think he brings interesting things to the table with both Jabari and Shangun in the front court. Um, and I just think he's going to be a, 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 a total winning impact playoff guy. Uh, at, at number five to Detroit, um, let's go with Taylor Hendricks. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, cool. yeah, I, I think that that is just, uh, I, I know people don't like to draft for fit, but sometimes when you have a talented prospect, like sometimes drafting for fit, you kind of have to do it. If you just draft guys who overlap with each other, you're not giving them the ideal developmental context all the time. And putting like a stretch big like that next, who doesn't need the ball next to case to case to Jaden Ivy and next to Jalen Duran and, and possibly James Wiseman. Like he's just such a great complimentary guy. Who's going to play both sides of the ball and still has that potential to develop outside uh, 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 of those areas. So, uh, those guys aren't necessarily like one through five on my big board, but I, I do think sometimes you have to, you know, sway from that a little bit um, when taking account for fit. I know that there'll be people who are watching this or listening to this. They'll be like, man, Josh, Josh has never, never draft a fit. He's always best player available. And that's not exactly true because I, I agree with you that to me, when you're looking in players and there's groupings of players, and to me, there's like a group of like five or five or six players who I'm like, I don't know who the best of these guys is. So, Getting fit in that with no in that group of guys makes a hundred percent sense. Now the reason that I personally have Scoot over Brandon Miller is I think Scoot is just a better player. Like it's just a different yeah. tier of prospect to me. So even though Brandon Miller fit would be great, I just don't think you pass up on that talent. But if I get to uh, Hendricks or Walker or Whitmore or uh, Osar Thompson, I've got them all sort of in the same area. The one who makes the most sense with fit is the, probably the one that I go with. And in, initially, I had um, Taylor Hendricks going at five to Detroit for that very reason, like just sitting back there, defending, protecting the rim, shooting, um, playing off ball, room to grow. It, it makes tons of sense. Now, one other thing I just wanted to get out of there, because I've, I mean, this is not exclusive to you, but it's, I've been thinking about it a little bit. And I've seen Jarris Walker at Houston in a few different spots, and people go, well, there's overlap there with Shangun and Smith, as you mentioned. But... This is not really a Jarris question. It's maybe more a Jabari Smith question. Do you think that Jabari Smith, with his defensive ability that he showed in college, and he showed it in the NBA to a degree, and shooting ability, which didn't really show in, in the NBA that well, could he play as a three the way that Larry Markinen has the last two years, even though he's 6'11", even though he can protect the rim, even though he can play as a center? Like, could he work like playing more as a perimeter orientated big man so that this overlap of like, well, they can't draft a power forward because they've got Jabari Smith maybe goes away? I think off, I, I, I think in if you have the right four, yes. Um, I, I think that Jarris Walker is exactly that right four. I, I don't think that starting all of those guys together necessarily makes all of that the, the sense in the world to do that. But um, like Jarris is a guy who can create a little bit. He can, um, you know, in high school he was 
initiating a lot of offense. He was bringing the ball up the court. He was getting guys into similar sets the way a Shengun does. When you have guys who could serve as hubs and make quick decisions and play point by basketball, and then you have a guy like Jabari, which, you know, what's the thing that we've heard from college and his rookie year? He needs to be set up. Um, I do think that he could be a guy who is kind of just a three and D guy. He's switchable defensively. So I certainly think he can guard threes. Um, I don't think it's his ideal role, but I, I also don't think it's necessarily Laurie Markkinen's ideal role either. Uh, I think Laurie is a, a better self-creator off the bounce. And, you know, that's something that Jabari has time to work on. Um, but I, I definitely think that there are ways to make that effective with a guy like Jarris. Uh, a guy like Taylor Hendricks, I'm a little bit more skeptical just because I don't think that Jar- uh, Taylor Hendricks or Jabari have the creativity as offensive players to uh, create on their own. And, and maybe just having a couple of guys who can space the floor and be complimentary. Maybe that's a good thing for guys like Jalen Green and, and Shangun, who, who will be doing a lot of the offensive, potentially James Harden. Um, but but with the, the right four, I do think it's possible. All right, I'm back from the land of the frozen. And we're going to talk player prospects in a second, Corey. Before I do that, I'm going to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. You want tickets for events in your local area, or any area, really, Game Time is going to be able to bring them to you. There's so many great ways to go about this as well. They have their last-minute deals. They've got their flash deals. They've got their lowest price guarantee. They've got event cancellation protection, job loss protection as well. So many different ways to get tickets to your favorite sporting event, comedy event, theater, musical, whatever it is that you want to see, Game Time is going to get those tickets. Getting tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. With Game Time, it isn't. Don't worry about planning months in advance. Deals on tickets right up until the day of the event is there on game time. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and the same row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. You get images of your seat. You get the tickets sent straight through to the app. You don't have to fossick around in your emails to find them. They are just right there for you. So download the game time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LOCKEDONNBA for 20 bucks off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, we're going to get in and talk about some players, and we're going to start with a player that you are higher on than consensus. So, been waiting a few weeks to talk about this guy, Bryce Sensible. I did my mock draft 2.0 last week, and I actually put Bryce up at number 11. I think it was to the the Orlando Magic. His shooting and scoring ability was something I think they could really use there. I actually had him above Grady Dick, which I know a lot of people people disagreed with on that show. But I want to hear your take because you are higher on Bryce Sensible, a guy that shot 40% from three, elite efficiency, super high usage, over 24 points per 36, eight rebounds. He's 6'6", he's 19, he went to Ohio State. The immediate comparison, Corey, and I've talked about this with many, many people on my show so far this season, is people will just have these inherent um, unconscious biases that say, well, he's a scorer from Ohio State, so he's and he just Malachi Branham. So he's not, but what can you tell us about Bryce Sensible? Why, why are you higher on him than most people are? Well, first of all, I'm so happy that you mocked him to Orlando because to me, that is his ideal landing spot. I think just based on fit and what he could offer to a team, I love him in that role of like, hey, go get a bucket at the end of a shot clock or, you know, uh, on the, off the bench, Paulo Franz, you know, they're resting. You can just go be that guy, but also compliment them because he's such a dead eye shooter. 41% from three. Uh, his efficiency as a freshman was frankly just 
bonkers. Um, You know, I I have him as a a five or at five or six on my personal board right now. I think he's arguably the best kind of wingy uh, prospect there is. Um, I think something that people really underrate a lot of times is strength. You know, I, we look at his body type and, and we see a guy who is a little bit unorthodox um, as far as what he looks. He looks like a football player more than a basketball yeah. player a little bit. Um, but he's slimmed down, of course, because it's pre-draft season and that's what happens. Uh, so if he keeps that weight off, I actually think it's another sneaky reason that he's going to be undervalued. Like, you know, you saw what happened with a guy like Draymond when he, you know, got in NBA shape. The weight was off. The The conditioning is better. Um, but quite frankly, he is just so ridiculously skilled. You know, people will say he's Malachi Brandon. I wrote about him, and to me, he is like evolutionary DeMar DeRozan, except he's shooting 11 threes per 100 possessions. His footwork in the mid-range is DeRozan-esque. I, I literally took frame-by-frame frame of some of the way they operate in the post, and it matches up exactly. He, it's something that he's clearly been studying. Uh, but again, he can play off the ball. You know, he, he's when you're a 41% shooter on that kind of volume uh, – you are such a valuable asset. So I, I think a guy who had a 26 PER, 59 true shooting percentage, 8.6 BPM, um, he 24 and a half minutes per game. You know, I, he is going to be somebody who I think very much so outperforms his draft stock. Now, the one worry is the knees. You know, he had knee issues in high school. He ended his season with a knee injury. So uh, all of this is to be said. If he's cleared, if he's not red flagged because of his knee injuries, I think he is a no-brainer lotto NBA guy. Not without his warts, not without his weaknesses. Obviously, he's going to need to improve his off-ball defense, his awareness. Um, I actually think he's a little bit underrated on the ball. I think that he's able to body up, and I, I think he's actually going to be a guy who can guard up to you know the four spot in the NBA because he does have that strength and he is long. Um I think he's a better passer than he gets credit for. I think if you you look at some of the reads that he made this year, they're really high-end reads. The assist numbers aren't great based on his usage, but again, he's if he was a a guy who was averaging four assists a game, you're looking at him, you know, uh, starting at four um, on all of the boards probably that he would be a complete complete ready to go player. He's got stuff to work on, but all of the skills and tools are there. That new NBA is so much more about skill than being like a freak athlete you know this is not the early 2000 late 90s you have to be super skilled in this nba you have to be able to shoot i think he brings those things to the table yeah the shooting's the key thing again the, the malachi branham thing is that malachi branham just was not a willing three-point shooter at all he no. and he still isn't in, in the nba like he's very inconsistent with his shot like sensible is going to take those shots the defense is a concern that's what most people brought up to me it's like man you can't have him there he can't defend how do you compare him though to say because people will say well you got to have grady dick there how do you compare Dick and his defense to Sensibor and his? Uh, I mean, I, I think Grady is more aware um, as a, a scheme defender. I also think he played with better uh, defensive players, which which certainly helped mask some of his deficiencies. Uh, I, I think that Grady is going to be a guy who struggles with the strength of the game on both sides of the floor. I think guys are going to target him. Um, he, he's a guy who competes, and that's great. Uh, but, you know, his physical tools, he's very upright. He, he's very uh, pencil-like, uh, you know, with his frame. Um, so I, I think that he's got a lot of work to do on that end. Uh, I, I don't think he's, like, somebody who's going to be a disaster, but he's a guy that you're going to always be like, oh, we just hope that he's, you know, an average defender. He's probably always a guy in the playoffs that you're going to worry about in some, you know, degree when when the game is played at the highest level. Now, maybe Sensabot is too. 
Um, but I just think physically he's going to be able to hold up to, uh, you know, NBA defense a little bit better than Grady is. Now, every year there's, and I've talked about this in a show last week, there's always someone who I'm a bit skeptical on because of some of the numbers they put up in college, some of the high usage, and how is that going to work in the NBA? And in the past couple of years, that's been Johnny Davis and it's been James Booknight. I think this year that guy for me is Keontae George, but Mm. I look at Sensible and I go, oh, 34 usage. Um, Okay, nice high rebounding numbers. That's really strong. That's giving a little Johnny Davis, to be honest. Is is there concern that because yeah to be that guy and get your value from being this volume scorer you need to be elite of elite in the NBA you need to push into that role it's really hard to do a lot of guys need to mold their game and adjust to being a third or fourth option or a second option or whatever do you see that as a concern with sensible if he is pushed into that lower down the offensive pecking order run can he do other things to fit in there or much like another you know, other guys who were picked in that. 11 to 15 range, Donovan Mitchell to a lesser extent, Tyler Hero, they'll be able to maintain high usage and high volume scoring roles. Where does Sensible sort of fit in that sort of realm of players? Well, because he's such a good shooter and floor spacer, and and I think that he could do more than just like stand in the corner and catch and shoot. Like I think you could use him as like a movement shooter too, which is something he showed flashes of uh, at Ohio State. Not not a ton of it, but definitely flashes. I'm much more optimistic that he's more in like the – hero donovan mitchell um archetype versus some of the other guys that you mentioned um you know i i do think that his usage is obviously going to dip you know if he's a 34 percent usage guy he is probably going to be somebody who's top five in the league in scoring and is a you know all nba player and that's why he is garnering that usage so I, i wouldn't really predict that most players ever get to that level. Obviously, some of them will. But because he's an on-off-ball guy, I think that he's going to be able to fit in. And again, that's why we talked about the magic. Like He's clearly not going to go in there as either the, the first or second option. Um, you might even argue that Markel Fultz is going to be a guy who's handling so much of the ball handling duties, right? But I think that you know when within certain lineups in that context, he is going to be able to create, but he's also going to be able to complement all of those guys. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm so high with, on him. He He's not a one trick pony scorer he has elements of his game where he can also complement your best players the magic one is interesting because while we can go sit here and go well Paolo's there and Franz Wagner is arguably their best player um yeah he Paolo was great but Franz was awesome but I, the way I look at Franz is Franz is unbelievably adaptable like Franz can go through his whole career and have 20 usage like he doesn't ever have to be this high usage guy he can average 17 7 4 a steal a block shoot 40 percent from three and be the first or second best player in a team without being that guy. And it's yeah, so sensible like Jalen Suggs and Markel Fultz and Wendell Carter. Like there's a chance that if he was on that team, like he could easily just, you know, whatever they do at number six, but at number six, they might have Taylor Hendricks. So they might get uh, Asar Thompson or whatever they do there. The sensible could theoretically fit in as a number two player with those other guys, even being better overall players, but just him taking that volume of shots because so many of their other guards or even forwards are, are lower usage players like, you know, in the front court with Wendell or, or Suggs, if they're going to get anything out of him, there are other options for him there. So I think there are some interesting fit. And the Magic to me, I don't know how you view this, Corey, before we get into the next play, but the Magic to me are almost the most fit team in the in the lottery because they've got Paolo, they've got France, they've got these guys already. So they are the young building block guys from year one and year two who you're really confident are going to be great. So you don't need to be like, oh, let's just take swings and let's get someone who's playing the exact same position as Paolo. Or other teams, like there are other situations where you go, look, like the Hornets, like just get guys who are good, 
like just get guys who who make sense with this team. But the ma- Magic have got Polo. They've got that guy. So you what you're always trying to find is the guy to fit around. And I think they've got the guy to fit around. So that makes their draft draft selections a little bit different to other teams in the top ten or top twelve. I agree 100%. It's why even though I have Jarris Walker four on my board, you know, with Orlando, it's like he's exactly yeah. He's got guys in in the way, you know. And yes, he could play the five, but then like they just have Wendell Carter on this value deal for a few more years, right? So it's like, are you drafting a guy at six that you ultimately know is going to be playing backup minutes um, for at least the first couple of years, and then you got to make a decision on a player you like in Wendell Carter? I mean, Jonathan Isaac is still there, you know. Like it's just at, at a certain point, you you can't replicate positional talent. Um, and expect to get the the kind of results that that we have for these guys in the pre-draft process. That's why the magic at six is going to be really, really interesting because they might be in a situation where they've got Hendricks or Whitmore or Walker uh, all available to them, and they might be like, well, we actually just want a guard, so let's just take Cason Wallace or let's take Anthony Black or let's take let's take Asar Thompson ahead of some of these guys, even though his shooting then becomes an issue as well. They're in a really, really interesting spot. We're not here to talk all exclusively Orlando Magic. We're here to talk about another player that you are, much like your co-host, Albert, you are not particularly high on this guy. Bang! Bang! And I just spoke with Albert about Amen Thompson. Yes, so I'm going to start with this question to you, Corey. How the hell do you scout Overtime Elite? I don't think anybody definitively knows the answer to that. For me, um, you know, I've had the privilege of going to their pro day. Um, I've gotten to see... Amen and Asar live in game action outside of that. So I feel like I've gotten a little bit of a peek behind the curtains. And and I know that what they are learning behind the scenes and what they're getting coached up on is stuff that is positive for them going forward. Now, when you're looking at strictly the gameplay, like, look, it's ugly. Like, I, I don't think there's any way around that, right? And they are 20 years old playing against 16-year-olds or 17-year-olds. You know, they're they're playing down in competition versus, you know, the NCAA is older than it's ever been, right? Like <laughs> guys are 25 years old some guys in college. Yeah. Uh some of these guys are playing in the G League against NBA guys who are grown grown men in the NBL. So it clearly from a talent perspective, from a competition perspective, it is the lowest of, you know, what we are um you know, kind of evaluating and and even lower than, you know, when it was like high school to the pros because at least those guys were playing against their age range they're playing down in competition so it's definitely hard to evaluate it and you're you're just going to have to buy in on the behind the scenes stuff for for me it's like the behind the scenes stuff and the raw talent and the skills that they show um and not so much like did they miss a possession here or did they make this great transition dunk like that's stuff that i i not throw out but don't value as highly as some of the stuff that you know i i've seen with my own eyes behind the scenes or, or as far from a skill perspective the competition levels it's it's impossible to 100 percent judge i'll throw a couple of interesting not, not even caveats but um the only player we've seen from overtime elite in the nba is dominic barlow who didn't get drafted which i thought was a mistake at the time but came in played well in the g league and when he played in the nba totally fit in like 
totally looked at place. And I think that he is a future rotation player. So that's the only guy. And the other guy that they had, um, Jean Montero, didn't get drafted, which I again thought was a mistake. He's actually putting up some pretty good numbers over in Europe yeah. as well. So they're the two guys. That they, they were their main guys from last year. And they didn't get drafted. There was, I guess, a level of skepticism. But both guys have succeeded professionally so far. Again, Montero not in the NBA, but I don't think he'd be out of place on an NBA roster given what we saw from him this year. So that that's, I think, somewhat of a, of a tick there that maybe that level of competition, while it looks weird and the games look weird, that the good players are good. And then I, I go to the, the games that they played, OTE played against some of the international teams. And they played against Adelaide, a team that beat Phoenix in the preseason. Um, Asar had 14, 4, and 4. A men had 19, 8, and 4. Two steals for a man, one for Asar. Yeah, the shooting was pretty bad from both those guys, but they played against a professional outlet. Yes, it was a preseason game for Adelaide. They weren't playing all their guys, the big minutes. But you know, when if you're going to have the criticism, I guess, of them playing against these 16-year-olds, which is totally valid, they went up against a bunch of professionals and did pretty good things, I think. I, I think so. I get that concern. But they also, in other situations, and playing at like... Uh, tournaments and things that aren't the overtime elite situation, they've still been a similar level prospect, I think. I think that's fair, for sure. Um, and and I do think that like that international competition is something that is unique that a lot of these prospects don't have that I think is going to be helpful to them. You know, I, I actually got a chance to to ask them about it, and you know, they were like, you know, we're playing in these small, sweaty, hot gyms against you know, these grown men and guys who are making such quick decisions and stuff we're not used to seeing. Um, and, you know, they, they're like, we need to, it's, it's stuff that we want to implement in our game. Now, obviously we, we didn't see that all the time just because of the style of play. Um, but I, you know, along with the negatives, if, if you are looking for positives, I've also kind of approached it in that, you know, I remember watching LaMelo in the NBL and I, I hated Oh, yeah. his tape just because it felt like he was doing whatever he wanted but there was a freedom in which he was allowed to experiment right and learn what he could and couldn't do against competition that he had never faced i, I think there's an element of that with amen and asar in the overtime elite now not all of it's going to translate and I, I think as great as lamello's been he definitely has shown that there are things that he needs to improve upon still that were bad habits that we saw back then so I, I'd expect similar learning curves for Amen and Asar. Um, so I, you know, I, I think if you're strictly looking for the negatives, you could look at negatives. If you just want to find positives, you could find positives within it. But it's certainly unique, and I think that going forward, it's going to be a little bit easier to scout because I think they're moving away from the professional route and they're moving more towards. Uh, the prep academy model where they're getting these guys in younger, they're signing NIL deals instead of pro deals, and they're going to be going to you know colleges or the G League moving forward, the G League Ignite. Um, so I think that the the model in which we're seeing is going to shift. They they just happened to sign that two year deal early, which made them professionals, and they couldn't really you know shift their game plans. So I do think ultimately the OTE is going to be easier to scout moving forward. Um, but for them, it's definitely definitely going to prove interesting and challenging with the results. And I guess that's the risk, isn't it? Like it might work out. And we talked about, well, I talked about Barlow and Montero, but they were undrafted players. Like this is not spending a top five pick on one of these guys and think, oh man, maybe it's okay. Like that's, that's the concern <laughs> with it. Um, I, I believe they had one or two guys just recently go to G League for next season, didn't they? Tyler Smith, yeah, um, okay. who's a really interesting prospect, a guy that um, I, I got to see up close a bunch of times this year. 
and he's a lefty, 6'10", really bouncy. He's got a smooth stroke. Um, I, I think it's the perfect developmental context for him. Uh, you know, it, I, I think playing with pros is, are, are going to accentuate his strengths. So I think that's the model going forward. You know, there's a lot of guys, like they have real deal prospects. Like obviously the Thompson twins are real deal. Yep. Um, Bryson Tiller is going to be real deal. Nas Cunningham, like they have guys that are going to be high level college recruits going forward. So it's not that the, the league isn't talented. It's just that they're all at different parts of their developmental journey. Um, so it, it's it, for them, it's just bad timing. So let's let's dig in a little bit here quickly on Amen next. We've talked a, around around him and into the program. Um, when you say you're down on him, like most people are saying, well, he's just going to go at four to Houston. That seems to be the thing. And 99% of people that are talking about the draft are saying that that's probably the most likely thing to happen. Like how down on him are you? Are you... You know, outside the top 10, are you? He's definitely behind Asar. Are they both outside the top 10? Like, where are you on uh, Amen Thompson? I have Asar at six and Amen at 10. Okay. Um, uh, I, Albert and I did a, a preseason pod and, and on Amen because I think we were skeptical based off what we saw last season. Yep. Um, you know, obviously you see the flashes and you're like, this is great. Uh, I, I don't necessarily know that he didn't improve this year but he didn't improve on the things that you wanted him to really improve on which is the shot and and you know i i think improving your shot during like the the end of the season in into the pre-draft cycle we're seeing these videos changed form and stuff I, an nba team is going to want to get him in and they're going to want to work on his shot the way they work on it so it, you know he's almost going to have like four or five different shooting forms even before he gets to the NBA. And, and and that's not great. Like I again I was at his pro day in October um and I got to watch him shoot around, no cameras, just like empty gym, not going through drills or anything. And it's concerning stuff. It's it's the form, it's the makes and misses. Um I, if you watch the tape, you know, guys were guarding him like he's you know, washed Russell Westbrook, yeah. you know, like they're, they're like, Hey, shoot it. I dare you. And he's hesitant. And when he did, like the results weren't great. Ultimately for him, the reason that I like Asar a little bit more is one, I think they're comparable playmakers. I, I think Asar's playmaking is really underrated. And I think he's a top tier athlete, maybe not as quick twitch as on men, but I think he understands the pace and when to use his athleticism a little bit more where a man feels like he is always like bursting with the NOS, like coming out of the, off the line. Um, there, a men's not a great finisher. So in a league with not a bunch of great rim protectors, you know, he was struggling to finish in the half court. Uh, you know, his finishing numbers look great if you're just looking at them in totality, but you know, he was getting, 25% of his possessions in transition uh, where, you know, it was just like leak outs and highlight dunks. Um, so when I look at how teams are going to guard him, they're going to sag off. They're going to try to make him finish. It's hard for me to envision where if he doesn't go to a team that says, here's the rock, just go experiment that he's going to have an easy time doing that. And I'm looking, you know, you look at the the list of teams and it's like, is he going to take the ball out of Cade Cunningham's? hands or Jaden Ivy like yeah. probably not you know is he going to take the ball out of Jalen Green and and Shen Goon's hands like a, maybe a little you know there's the goal but uh, those guys like to have the ball in their hands you're gonna you have to rip it from their cold dead hands maybe 
Um, you know, so it's just like, it's really hard to envision a situation in which it's just smooth and easy. And it's just like, he could slide in. Now, if he dropped to like Utah at nine, like that's like the perfect situation, full spacing, you know, like can really operate with the ball in his hands a ton. I think, uh, Washington at eight would be pretty fun next to a guy like Bradley Beal, who could actually space the floor. Porzingis spaces the floor. I just think that he's so fit and context dependent. And when you, you wade through just like the hype and the athleticism, you know, uh, sometimes it feels like it could be a little bit of a mirage. Now the playmaking's great, but you know, it's like, how much, I don't know how much of that is going to translate immediately. I think there's going to be a big learning curve there as well, just because I think teams are going to guard him a little bit tougher and he's going to have to figure things out. Um, you know, from a like a feel perspective, more than just using his raw athleticism. And it's not to say that he won't put up, you know, stats if he gets a ton of minutes, you know, on a bad team. But is it going to be minutes that are like this could be win? These could be winning minutes one day. Maybe, maybe if the shot comes around, maybe. But it, there's a lot of ifs with Amen. I, I agree, and I do have him high, but I am constantly reevaluating that, and I've never felt less confident in having someone high that I do with him. So I just, I just don't know. It's all about fit. And I was thinking about like, oh, where, where would you fit? And I know it's just not likely to happen, but if the San Antonio Spurs were to trade back in, like they don't have a ball mm. handler, like Trey Jones, fine. You, yeah. You're good. Like they don't have that guy, but yeah. putting the ball in his hands and letting him work with Wembenyama would actually be an amazing fit. I think uh, getting coached by Popovich and not having that other guy who needs the ball in his hands, but yeah, that's a pretty, pretty tall order to see uh, San Antonio getting him in there as well. I don't know how that would go down. Now I want you to sell me on this next guy and it is um, Maxwell Lewis from Pepperdine because I haven't had him in, I didn't have him in my first round of my last mock draft. I had him at like 29, the one before and I moved him back and I look at his numbers. He's got the prototypical size, six foot seven. He's almost 21. He shot 35% from three at high usage. The defensive numbers are okay, but I look at it and go, fine. Like wings are important. Having wings are important, but no offense to Maxwell. He just feels like an NPC type of wing. Just a guy that you throw out there and go, oh, yeah, you're six foot seven. You sort of shoot, you sort of defend. You sort of handle the ball. You sort of do a bunch of stuff. But what's what's the thing? What's the thing for Maxwell Lewis that makes me go, no, he has to be a first-round player? Yeah, I mean, you look at like the 35% three-point shooting and it doesn't like jump out at you. But I actually think he's going to be a much better shooter than that. I mean, he was 44% off the catch. He's shooting a lot of off-the-bounce threes. Uh that Pepperdine team was a mess. Yep. Uh, it was one of my least favorite watches there were. Everybody was in it for themselves, it seemed like. Uh, I, I forgot what game it was. Um, one of the games, I, I don't think he touched the ball for like five minutes, and then he scored like nine points in a row as soon as he got touches. It's just It just felt like a bunch of individuals who showed up to play pickup basketball, and they were all the guy on the court who just dribbled the ball down and shot it every time. He's also a guy who doesn't have a lot of like, you know, experience playing high level basketball just because, you know, he had a weird situation in high school. Um, He's very raw as far as potential. And I think that he's going to have to go to a developmental system that is willing to be patient and hone it. But I don't think there are a lot of guys in this draft that have the combination of his physical dimensions, the athleticism, the shooting ability the ability to get their own shot, the feel. I think he's a a pretty good passer. Um, He made some really, really slick reads with out of live dribbles, both hands, weak side hits. Um, 
and a guy who could play on or off the ball. So uh, again, it's going to be where is the team that specializes in development? You know, if he goes to, you know, a team that every year they draft somebody and it's just disaster after disaster, you know, like a Washington probably doesn't do a good job developing him, right? Like they just develop fine players that, that seem to stagnate. It's going to be tough. But if he goes to maybe a Miami, you know, maybe that's a spot that he really learns how to be a professional, hone in, get really great coaching, figure out what he can and can't do. Um, it's a lot of raw talent that um, I, I think it. He, he was somebody who was getting that top 10 buzz very early on because he was shooting yeah. the leather off the ball. I think there's a middle ground where now he's getting mocked towards the end of the first. I think there's got to be a middle ground in between his hot streak and his cold streak somewhere in there just because, yeah, he is raw. There are some outcomes for him. But at a certain part of the draft, you're not finding his kind of talent. He's He's got that profile of the guy where I worry a little bit where small school, weaker competition, high usage, but still not efficient. Like 28 usage is pretty high, but you know, 57 true shooting is solid. But I, I would want you playing at that level to be a little bit higher there. And your defensive stats are, are pretty low. The size is all all well and good with him. But again, I just the, the I agree on the passing. I think there is some passing ability there. But not to fall into my own trap that I talk about too much about you know just comparing guys from school. But we had a guy, um, uh, Kessler Edwards, who played at Pepperdine a couple of years ago. Similar sort of wing sized player. Um, but some of his numbers in college were relatively comparable to Maxwell Lewis. Um, you know, shot better percentages on threes. It was a slightly lower usage, but overall was a higher, like a 24 usage player in college who shot the ball well, who plays, he's probably more of a 3-4 than, than a pure 3 Kessler. But yeah, coming out of that school, different context, different team, like... Is there, like, and Kessler has been fine in the NBA, but he hasn't been anything that you're super excited about. Is there any, like, the the history of the Pepperdine program and the team and the competition, and is that a, a level of, like, yeah, well, you still didn't blow us away playing in that situation. Is there a level of concern that am I just being too harsh on him? Uh, I, I think there's got to be a level of concern, but, you know, I think that that conference is, you know, like, there's some teams in there. There's some. There's some real teams in there. Uh, so it, it's not like he he played in some, you know, mid major in the middle of nowhere. Like he, he's yeah. playing real teams. Uh, I, I think the difference, you know, with Kessler is like Max Lewis is just way more creative. You know, to me, like it's an eye test thing. Yeah. Um, you know, there there's stuff that he does on the court. There's some flashes. You go, oh wow, right? Like uh, where Kessler, I think had less of those so i for me it's it's an eye test it, it's a i see some of the raw potential it's just he's a ball of clay that needs to be molded but i, I think the actual skills and tools are, are are pretty awesome let's go to another wing player then uh from out on the west coast again and that's amari moore san jose state he's 22 six foot eight probably a late second round player um seen his name jump at times, up until the the top of the early 30s in drafts, most of the mock drafts I've looked at now, I've got him later in the process. He seems to have fallen out of favor, but another high usage, lower efficiency wing, who's, again, got the prototypical size. He plays that position of need in the NBA, but there are numerous concerns. And now, one thing that stands out to me is the five almost five assists per 36 minutes, so working as a bit of a playmaker there, but the overall efficiency numbers on that high usage are pretty red flaggy to me. Is he a draftable player to you? I, I think that when you get into that 45 to 60 range, you can make an argument for, you know, 
a, a ton of guys to one way over the other. Also in that range, it's going to be agents pushing guys away from teams, you know, towards teams. Uh, what's interesting about Amari is that the shooting numbers, they weren't great, right? But he shot the the cover off the ball at the, the combine. Um, so there's something to work with. Now, he didn't shoot it even well off the catch. Uh, he's a high-usage guy. He's talked about the five assists per game. You know, it's that he's so pick-and-roll dominant, so plays with the ball in his hands, that for him to, to you know, actually make it in the NBA, he's going to have to be a guy who can also play off the ball. That's going to be the question. Like, what is he going to bring to the table when he doesn't have the ball? It's almost the same thing as Bryce Sensabaugh, that conversation, only Sensabaugh is a dead-eye shooter. Um, you know, Moore doesn't really cut. Uh, he Again, he didn't shoot it well off the catch in college. So uh, to me, he's very interesting just because he is so good in the pick and roll. He was a pretty good finisher in the half court. He's a, a, a slick passer. Um, it's just, does he have the ancillary complementary skills to actually make it work playing off of NBA stars? He shot 43% from three as a junior, but every other year it's been bad and he's a career 34% shooter. What happened in that second year? Is it just a, a random outlier? He only took 77 threes. He hit 33 of them. Is it just like a, a small sample size outlier? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that the small sample size, the variance when when you look at small sample sizes. I mean, look, his form isn't broken. You know, like there's there's definitely something to work with there. It's just it. He definitely needs to prove that he could do it consistently in a game. You know, the, again, shot it well at the combine. He, you, the form is fine. Is he going to be able to do it when he's getting a kick out from Luka Doncic or LeBron James or you know? Uh, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, one of these guys who are, you know, getting him open looks, is he going to be able to make teams pay? If he can't, um, you know, he's going to have a hard time uh, finding a home in the league. If he can, he becomes a really interesting player because of what he can do as a passer attacking um, off those second side reads and and stuff like that. So there, there are, are interesting tools for him, and that's why I think that he probably does get drafted. I think he has a 6'10", 6'11", wingspan, something like that. So, like, he's got good length. The physical tools are great. It's just going to be, literally for me, it's like, can you shoot? Can you learn to move off the ball? The last guy is someone who I think rose, I guess, to prominence in the tournament after they won a couple of games, surprisingly. He is another wing. Wings are important. We need to talk about him. Um, from Princeton, it is Tosan Ewoma. Am I pronounced that correctly? Uh, yeah, uh, Tosan Iwoman. Like it's, uh, you know, it's he's, he's British, so it's, you know, <laughs> there's some weird pronunciation. Um when when you listen to him doing it, but it's it's pretty close. He again was able to really drive some big numbers on this Princeton team. Again, we talk about lower level competition, but almost six assists per thirty six minutes. He averaged seventeen points. He had fifty six true shooting. Shot fifty one percent overall. Basically operating as like a point forward for a lot of their a lot of their games. And obviously that's a team that's not as strong as other teams, but yeah, guided them to uh, some success in the tournament on the back of what he was able to do. And that's sort of risen him up. Like how did he go through some of the the post tournament stuff, the combine and pro days? Has he been able to solidify some of his stock there i i don't think so um i i think that you know for him his sell is going to be from like the tournament run um you i i think he 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 might get drafted he's probably going to end up being a, a two-way guy undrafted free agent but I, I mean look he's another one of these guys that like he needs to shoot it 
you know, because like you said, he operated so much as this point forward, the passing skills are really intriguing. He had a 30 assist percentage in back-to-back years from that like four spot. Um, he's running so much of that, like, you know, the, the DHO stuff that you see, uh, like a guy like Bam run. Um, but, if he doesn't shoot, like he's not going to run that nearly as much at the next level when, you know, you have maybe Bam actually running it, right? Like he's going to be a bench guy that maybe you try to replicate some of the, that stuff with and, and make use of a smart team with cutters, you know, t- Golden State would be, would be interesting. Uh, but at the end of the day, the other thing is like, he's also not a guy that's probably you're projecting to play a small ball five. Like he's okay guarding in space on switches and isolations. Um, he's struggled a little bit with pick and roll coverages he's not really like an event generator defensively he's not going to get a lot of steals and blocks um so he's he's got to turn himself and and evolve slightly in in his play style because all the intriguing things that he does are only going to be there you know in small doses at the next level so interesting tools his shot is sometimes mechanical uh i feel like sometimes when he's guarded it's a little bit smoother because he's got to get it up quicker um I, I don't i think that he might learn how to shoot it because i don't think his form is just is totally busted it might just be a reps thing so if he learns how to shoot it he immediately becomes a lot more interesting um and it's probably going to be a guy that you would love to play with offensively because he's a, a really smart quick 0.5 thinker but uh he definitely has some things going against him yeah, he's he's a guy again. I think that maybe there's just that little bit of extra hype from some of the stuff in the tournament that that maybe pushes him up. But I, I tend to agree that he probably won't end up being drafted. As I noticed, my camera has frozen again, so I'll try to unfreeze it with technical difficulties. Love him. We'll try and get that sorted now. All right, I'm back from the land of the frozen again, part two, and just in time for us to say goodbye, Corey, because that was uh, the end of the show. So fantastic once again to have you on chatting NBA draft prospects. Tell us what you guys have got cooking over at No Ceilings at the moment. I mean, it's going to be content, 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 you know, team-specific pieces. Uh, some of the big guys that we, you know, covered earlier on in the year, we're, re, uh, you know, going back to um, podcast five days a week, you know, uh, player film sessions, you know, just broke down film with Taylor Hendricks. Um, got some fun ones coming up. Oh, that, that then, Taylor Hendricks one was awesome. I listened to that yesterday, I think it was. It was really, really good. It made me Thank like, you very much. I was like, oh, I, I love Taylor Hendricks. And then I was like, oh, how does he going to... Then I listened to that one. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm all in. I'm back at top five for him. Yeah, kids got the mindset, man. Yeah, uh, yeah and I, you know, I got Ricky Council coming up, a couple other fun guys uh, I'm really excited about. And then, you know, we just released our draft guide. And, you know, that's the thing that uh, we get excited about every year. It's 18,000 plus words, 120 plus pages. Um, I do the art for it. So I literally think I got my made myself sick by grinding out, finishing the artwork for there, it. There's your artwork. Um, right there. <laughs> yes. um, the cover actually done by uh, my favorite artist, Matt Skiff, but all of the inside artwork was was me. Awesome. And, uh, all of the, all, all all the stuff? The formatting. Oh, yeah. yeah, all the there formatting. We all worked super hard. Every member of our team contributed to it, writing, pulling different graphics. Um, and this year, you know, we doubled the content for the same price. So it's $10. You can get it at noceilingsmba.com. Click on store or you can go to noceilingsmba.bigcartel.com directly. We release merch, um, but we're going to have mock drafts coming up. We have a live draft stream uh, on draft night. You know, we, we got a pre-draft show that we're going to do. It's We got 
it's going to be every every single day we're going to have something interesting regarding the draft and then we're going to move on post draft you know break down all the results head into summer league and then we're going to kick 2024 off it's a no it's an absolute no-brainer to go get the draft guide and to check out everything that no ceilings does Corey, thank you for coming on and chatting about the draft with me my pleasure i am down to come on anytime man appreciate you having me and that will do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.